Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm film scholar and slippery weasel, Noelle LaCroix. And I'm story expert and cross-referencing fool, Lonnie Diane Rich. And we're here today to talk about Earshot, the 18th episode of season three. Earshot aired on September 21st, 1999, and was written by Jane Espenson and directed by Regis Kemble, who is best known as an editor. He worked on Buffy, Angel... Fargo, the TV series, and my personal favorite, American Horror Story. I still have not seen that. I hear it's really, really great, but you know, me and horror. That's fine. I'll watch it for you. (laughs) Absolutely. I say as I talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Anyway, so uh, as everybody should probably know by now, Still Pretty is a fully spoiled podcast. So if you have not watched all of Buffy and all of Angel and maybe read some of the comic books, then then you're going to want to take care of that and come on back. Well, if you're not too busy having sex with my mother, then let's go on patrol. In Earshot, Buffy is attacked by two scabby, mouthless demons in the playground. She takes one out, and while she watches the other run away, we see some of the demons' glow-in-the-dark blood seep into her skin, but she doesn't seem to notice. It itches like crazy, though, so when she brings it up to Giles, he does some research. What? It says it can infect the host. Infect? Infect? Giles! Infect? Buffy is worried about the Angel Faith thing, and maybe Angel liked kissing her, but still hasn't talked to him directly about it. But what's bothering her more is Giles telling her that she will end up with an aspect of the demon whatever that means. Angel sees her while she's walking at night, and she won't talk about Faith, but she shares her worries about what happens when her new demon part sprouts up. And Angel almost sticks the landing. Hey. I won't let anything happen to you if I can help it. No matter what, I'll always be with you. I'll love you. Even if you're covered with slime. I liked everything until that part. At school the next day, Buffy sits down with the group to talk about the game, and Xander is distracted by Cordelia. He wonders if Cordy and Wesley have kissed, and Buffy hears his thought. In the hallway, she hears everyone's thoughts, and kind of digs it. She visits Giles, reads his thoughts, as he realizes the demons are telepathic, and that's why they don't need mouths, and she freaks him out a little bit. Buffy uses her new power to show off in class, and then it occurs to her that her new power might be of real use elsewhere. She visits Angel, but can't read his thoughts, so he gets her to finally talk. In 243 years, I've loved exactly one person. Oh. It is me, right? Next time, just ask. The next day at school, Buffy tells everyone about her power, and one by one, they all freak out and leave her there. She goes out into the hallway, more isolated than ever, and hears everyone thinking. Meanwhile, in the library, Giles comes upon some disturbing information while researching. The same thing happened to a man in Ecuador, and it didn't end well. It's happened before. A man in Ecuador. Quite recently. Can we contact him? I'd say not. He can't communicate with anyone. Dead? No, he's in complete isolation. Power. You can't shut it off. At lunch, Buffy hears someone think, this time tomorrow, I kill you all. She drops her tray and touches people, trying to figure out who had the thought. But all the thoughts are overwhelming, and she collapses. 
Everyone's thoughts are still interfering with her ability to think, so she gives as much information as she can before letting Giles take her home. I'll be okay, right? I mean, even if you can't get rid of it. You're fine. The Scoobies get to work trying to find the potential killer, and Buffy goes home where Joyce tends to her as much as she can before thinking of the very thing she didn't want Buffy to know, that she had sex with Giles. Buffy can hear everyone in the neighborhood and curls up in bed, unable to handle it. At the school, Giles and Wesley need the heart of the demon in order to make the antidote. Angel gets the heart, brews the concoction, and feeds it to Buffy, who goes into seizures and then passes out. Later, when she wakes up... Are you all right? Do you hear thoughts? Did you find the killer? The Scoobies have tracked down everyone on the suspect list, except for Freddie Iverson, the school newspaper editor, who has been dodging them. But when they finally confront him, they discover he was avoiding them because of a bad review that he gave Oz's band. Freddie points to his hate mail, and Cordelia starts going through it as a no longer telepathic Buffy returns. Okay, here's the new plan. We're going to get Snatter to evacuate the school and just hope the killer's not waiting outside. this time tomorrow, you all know what I've done. I'm sure you understand that I had to do it, and that although death is never easy, it's the only way. The letter is from Jonathan, who is in the school tower assembling a rifle. Buffy sees him in the tower and rushes in to stop him, but it turns out... He was planning on killing himself, no one else. As it turns out, the person wanting to kill everyone was the lunch lady, who Xander accidentally catches pouring rat poison into the food. He warns everyone, and Buffy takes down the lunch lady. Later, she and Giles chat while walking on the school lawn. I'm glad to see you've recovered from your psychic encounter, more or less intact. Feel up to some training? Sure. We can work it after school. You know, if you're not too busy having sex with my mother... Okay, so Noelle, Earshot, what did you think overall? Did you like this episode? The episode as a whole, not really. I like individual Mm -hmm. moments in the episode. There are some fantastic lines, but the episode as a whole, eh. Um, Except for the fact that it feels really, really prescient with the the violence at high school and really uncomfortable yeah no that's it's really tough um and i'd like to take this moment just to give a quick content warning uh we are going to be discussing school shootings in this uh, episode of still pretty as well as suicide so if either of these are triggering topics for you you may want to skip this episode and come back and hang out with us next week when we talk about choices um, in Earshot, we are dealing with um, with the idea of school shootings, which uh, prior to this point in our history uh, had existed. Oh, yeah. I mean, school shootings did happen. Um, we even get this line from Oz where he's like, they're bordering on trendy. Um, and it was it was sadly prescient yeah. um, because uh, school shootings have since the events of Columbine, which happened a week before this episode was slated to air. Columbine happened on uh, April 20th, 1999. And as some of you may have noticed when we talk about the air date for this, it was September 21st, 1999. So it was right before the beginning of the fourth season. Mm-hmm. They finally showed this episode, but they actually pulled it from the lineup and ended up replaying bad girls um and we didn't you know they didn't go back to it until uh until september five months after the shooting at columbine Mm -hmm. um and 
at this point in our history that there had been shootings, there had been the um, clock tower shooting at University of Texas at Austin. Um, we'd seen shootings more, I think, on college campuses than necessarily in high schools. But I mean, when I was in high school, we had an incident that um, that didn't, n- nobody got shot, but a, a girl came into this high school while I was there um, looking for my English teacher. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had a rifle. She shot through the little glass um, panel in the door oh, uh-huh. of that classroom. I was in that classroom at the time. Um, and uh, and they were able to stop her. But my English teacher was hiding in a uh, in a closet for a while uh, while this girl was looking for her. Wow. And, um, and didn't come back to school again for another year. So that was a hugely traumatic experience for her. And that kind of stuff, you know, when, when it happened at my high school, it wasn't even news. Like, yeah. it was just such a, nobody got shot and it was like, okay, whatever. Um, but what we didn't realize is that this, is, this was something that was starting to get into, like, the cultural zeitgeist. And by the time Columbine hit, um, it almost did set off as 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 horrible a word as it is to use with reference to these these devastating events um a trend mm-hmm. you know that we're seeing so many more of these kinds of events happening and there are a lot of cultural like influences that contribute to that um but it's uh at this point this was uh, the exact turning point where it became so much worse um, than it had been. It was bad enough right. the way that it was, but it, it became so much worse. And so this um, this episode is kind of a, a weird episode in the run of Buffy, um, and the way that it was taken out of its um, you know of its chronology and then shifted to so people who were watching Buffy live saw this out of order, never got the the things that happened in this episode. Um, and uh, and it was really it's it's really disturbing now after everything that we've been through as a country, how incredibly traumatizing and incredibly regular these events are. Um, it is it is actually a source, I think, of, of national trauma because these things keep happening. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's shocking to me it's shocking to me how relevant Buffy as a series often feels um but of course this episode feels especially relevant because we've seen 20 years of um a real upswing in school violence since the Mm -hmm. Columbine High School massacre and not not just not just the fact that it happened but the way that it was talked about in the media, the way yeah. it was publicized. I mean, you can read, if you're interested in reading the research that has been done on the Columbine High School massacre and its effect on school on, on school shootings and the sort of the environment in which, um, mm-hmm. you know, kids go to school now where they do active shooter drills. And we're finally, yeah. I mean, we're finally at a point where, I think, and I want to say just in the past few months, the the mainstream media has gotten hip to the fact that you don't glamorize yeah. the shooter. You don't, you know, splash their name and picture mm-hmm. everywhere. Um, but yeah. it has taken, I mean, it's taken us 20 years to get there. And we're, we're so, so far behind um, on mm-hmm. really doing anything about the issue of gun violence in schools. Um, I yeah. found, I actually found all of the discussion of 
of gun violence in school in this episode to be really, really troubling, um, knowing that it was, yes. you know, that it was written and directed when it was. And yet we still have Xander saying, I mean, who hasn't just idly thought about taking out the whole place with a semi-automatic? That's fucking yeah. chilling now. It is incredibly it's... chilling, especially because Xander kind of fits the, you know, disaffected young white guy yeah he kind of fits the the profile of the kind of guy that we're seeing you know do these things in, in my particular instance you know what happened at my school it was a girl who was going after the english teacher who had failed her um but uh yeah it's it's truly disturbing yeah i mean there are you know there are violent people of of all stripes but of every demographic exactly. <laughs> of every demographic but when we when we talk about school shootings um particularly under you know what is called um the columbine effect we're looking yeah. at white men um yeah and it's i mean and it's really really chilling um yeah it is. you know <laughs> the fact that Cordy says, yeah, because that never happens at American high schools. And of course, now it happens mm -hmm. so much more often than when this line was written right. and spoken. Um, and it's 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 real scary. Um, it is. It really is. And to have this this snapshot, because this was set, slated to air the week after, but it had been shot and edited and was ready to yeah. go like months beforehand. Yeah. It was written months before. So it was written in this different space in which they were still being sarcastic about, yeah, that never happens right. because it had happened. Yeah. Um, it had happened nothing enough like that, how it's yeah. been happening since. It had happened yeah. enough that they could joke about it in that way. Yeah. That Oz could say it's bordering yeah. on trendy at this point. Yeah. Uh, anyway. I know. And it's so it's so awful when you think about like how much worse it's gotten since. And so I think that when you're looking at Earshot as an episode, it is really difficult to view it without all of that that cultural knowledge and and experience and national trauma that we have been having ever since it's hard to see this episode without that element weighing so heavily on mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. you know um and the thing is that in reality though that part of the episode um isn't about like isn't in reality about the a mass school shooting right. It's about a kid in so much pain that he's trying to kill himself. Yeah. Now, why he needs a rifle with a scope on it. I mean, I think it's, I don't know. I don't know. I yeah. Think, like, the I, rifle looks really long. It seems like a really difficult I, choice. But if it's all you got, well, I yeah. guess, you know. Yeah. But, I mean, I, my, my, my mind is going a place that I don't want it to go because I think talking about suicide and methods of suicide is super, super problematic, even with a content yeah. warning on the episode. So I'm not going to address like the, the, I'm not going to address the method here. The rifle is there. Sure. The rifle and the tower are there as a misdirect yeah. because we are still at that point. When we see Jonathan exactly. in the tower, we're still thinking he is up there intent on mass murder 
Um, right. So, and that's part of it because the, the evidence that we're giving, that is the, the kind of thing that, that someone would use to kill other people and not necessarily, it wouldn't be that easy to use for, for themselves. So, I mean, part of that, well, you know, I think you're right. We shouldn't necessarily be going into like the whole methodology of it. Um, it is something that is deliberately put in there to mislead yes. us so that we think that what he's doing is planning on killing a bunch of people. Um, and the thing is, is that because that is, there for the misdirect because this whole thing is about Buffy thinks that he's going to shoot a bunch of people he is just there to kill himself when we get that twist mm -hmm. when we get that moment where we realize that Jonathan is there to kill himself um, then uh, we don't deal with that we don't address the suicide we don't address any we just rush off because there's still somebody out there who is actually going to try to kill a bunch of students right and now that Jonathan has been, you know, the gun has been taken away and he's not going to hurt himself. We just sort of let that go. Well, yeah. But I mean, that's a big well, deal. Well, he's not going to hurt himself right now. Right but now. But you don't like a yeah. little, a little chat with Buffy is not going to make someone who is feeling suicidal suddenly not feel suicidal anymore. And who was ready to, in that moment, was ready to do this thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you presume that he wrote the letter to the newspaper, mm -hmm. right? Um, a letter which had been opened and somebody had read. So <laughs> had it like was it why. in an envelope ever? Did he just like fold it up no, and put it? No, up? Cordelia picked up this open sheet of paper uh -huh. that was lying in a pile that had clearly been opened, and you would think somebody had read it. Um, that has that in it, oh. you know. By this time, you know, you will know what yeah, I've done yeah, and yeah. all this kind of stuff. Um, so he sent out a suicide note to the school newspaper um, and and was doing this thing, you know, up in the school tower. So I don't know. It 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 feels like we're not addressing at all Jonathan's suicide attempt. It's almost like it, it's just there about the twist. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just there to do that twist and we're not really addressing like how many kids do commit suicide yeah. because they're in such a tremendous amount of pain, mm -hmm. you know, and what's, what's interesting too, is that we've got this, you know, in this episode where the prospect of Buffy's intense isolation would lead to insanity, which we see with what happened to the man in Ecuador. Um, you know, we come upon Jonathan's isolation, which is pushing him to the point where he wants to take his own life. And, you know, and I mean, the thing is, like, there is a point, I think, where you are in such an incredible amount of pain that it's not necessarily that you want to die. You just want the pain mm -hmm. to stop. Yeah. You know, um, and that that's where a lot of like suicidal ideation, you know, which is where, you know, you think about suicide in a, in a positive way, maybe not necessarily planning for it, but it's kind of like, oh, wow, you know, if a truck just took me out. Mm -hmm you know, maybe that wouldn't be so right. bad, right? You know, if something terrible just happened, maybe it wouldn't be so bad, you know? Um, and and then you move through the, the phases where you start to plan, where you start to think about how you would do it. Um, and when you get to the point where Jonathan is at, um, there's been so much pain for so long, you know, um, that again, yeah, one, one quick chat with Buffy saying everybody's in pain, get over it, yeah. right? Get, I mean, essentially, yeah. it's everybody's in pain, get over yourself. Yeah. And that, I think, is not a helpful message for people who are in pain because, 
you know, a, a comparison in almost every context is is a useless thing, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but especially in this context, like everybody else's pain is kind of irrelevant because them being in pain does not make you less in pain. Right. You know, that that knowledge might make you feel a little less isolated. So if we're talking about isolation, there could be that. Yeah. But um but overall it um we don't address that at all and it almost becomes kind of a punchline. Oh, I wasn't going to kill everybody else. I wouldn't hurt yeah. anybody, you know. Yeah. It's 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 a little bit difficult. Yeah, it's it's unsettling. It's a twist yeah. that isn't like I understand I understand why it's there. I like it. It's one of those things that I like narratively, but yes. but the way that it's handled I think is really unfortunate. Um I think you have to earn some things. Yeah. You have to earn certain things to talk about. Well, and Jonathan up till this point has just been this kind of background character who's there for comedy. Yeah, he's the butt of the joke. He's the butt of the joke always. And, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes sometimes with his knowledge, um, like Harmony making fun of him. Um, as a potential, right, you know, right. We've got your new exactly, boyfriend. Exactly. As mm-hmm. a potential next boyfriend for Cordelia. And he's also just been the butt of the joke, you know, for the audience. He's set up to mm-hmm. be the punchline for a scene or he's set up yeah. to be this kind of like bumbling, incongruous element <laughs> in a scene. Yes. And we mm-hmm. don't. And I like I love the idea of giving him some depth. I love the idea of, yeah. you know, this character who has been the butt of the joke, having this, this inner life of his own that is, you know, yeah. really, really, you know, he's really struggling. But we go from zero to tragedy with Jonathan. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know that it works. I, yeah, I think it's, it's an awkward transition um for this and um and while i think seeing jonathan as an actual human being with actual you know feelings as opposed to just the guy that we can make the joke with um i think is a nice place to go and we're going to do a lot more with jonathan throughout the run of the series i mean jonathan is going to be actually you know a very pivotal oh my goodness in the run of the series where jonathan um, goes from love. here is wonderful where jonathan goes from here. we talk about oh, god he's amazing you know you would talk about Oh, you can't just, you know, change the world and not have consequences. And then, of course, Jonathan's going to go yeah. on to cast a yes, spell that exactly makes that. Him... It's going to take a long time for him to learn yeah, that lesson. That... Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do love, I love setting Jonathan up to be a bigger character. But we yes. don't, we do end up kind of trivializing his suicide attempt with, Mm-hmm. where the focus is for this episode but then also you know and then it's like in conclusion and we see Buffy and Giles yeah. walking along and you know Buffy's been visiting him and he's been he's you know home presumably mm-hmm. and then we're we're like joking about his look of gratitude and how she says she what is it she says that he's got that look like he's going to ask me to prom Right, and just, which you know is cute. sweet. And then and when sweet. we go ahead to what happens at prom, what he actually does at prom, which is amazing, yeah. 
Um, yeah, I, I think that that's, but it definitely, like, it definitely whiffs of that, like, oh, just a little, you know, just having Buffy intervene is enough. It's, it's magical. And then we have this whole thing where he then again becomes the butt of the joke. Oh, please. He's like three feet tall. Right. First of all, man does not have to be tall to be a man. I'm sorry. Tyrion Lannister, one of the sexiest motherfuckers out there. That's all I'm going to say. Um, so, I, you know, that whole idea oh, yeah. that the, that because he's not tall enough, you know, um, I think metaphorically, you need to be, quote unquote, tall enough to get on this right. ride, if you know what I mean. But <laughs> um, but that does not necessarily mean physically tall. And um, and so the idea that we go then again to making this guy whose humanity and pain was just such a pivotal part of this episode. Uh, again, the butt of the joke is um, is a little bit disappointing. Um, but before we shift away from this discussion, I would like to say to anybody listening that um, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. And there are people there who can absolutely help you through whatever it is that you're going through and give you some help, but you're not alone. It doesn't just happen to you. Lots of people feel this way. Lots of people end up having their lives get better. I can tell you right now at this point in my life, I'm happier than I think I've ever been. Um, But I had to go through a really, really hard place to, to get here. And it was really difficult. So I understand completely how you're feeling. There is hope. And I hope that if you are listening to this and you're in that kind of pain that you at least try to reach out and let some people help you because it it can get so, so much better. So much better. Yeah. Sometimes just saying how awful it feels (laughs) helps it to feel less awful. It really does. Okay. So now that we've had all of these discussions um, that have have really been very deep and heavy, we've, we've cleared out some of the bigger issues that sort of weigh down earshot. Let's get back into this episode and talk a little bit about the stuff that's going on here. And I actually found it to be really interesting in terms of some of the philosophy that's going on um, in this episode. I um, I love this idea of our thoughts and our identity, yeah. right? You know, like, what are we? What defines <laughs> us? You know, we have the classic Descartes, I think, therefore I am. But what does that freaking mean? Like, <laughs> what does um, that mean? Where... Yeah, like where are, like how, what is it that defines us? Is it our thoughts? Is it our brain? Is it our soul? This thing that we can't, you know, define. Um, But we have Buffy, you know, when she starts talking about this, she's like, I could be something that's not me anymore. You know, when she's talking about this aspect of the demon, like what is it going to do to her? How is it going to change her essential identity if she ends up with horns or a tail or something that she is no longer going to be her? At what point do we cease to be us and we have this whole meditation from Oz, <laughs> which I absolutely adore when we get Oz's interiority. Oh, you know, God. I am my thoughts. If they exist in her, Buffy contains everything that is me and she becomes me. I cease to exist. And then he just goes, ha. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> it is so fantastic. But I don't know, Noel, what do you think about that? Like if somebody can read thoughts. Does, if they if they have access to the thoughts of other people, does the boundary between who who is me and who is them does that does that somehow become a little shady? I mean, maybe. 
Maybe. I, maybe. I, maybe. I don't. I mean, that's it's a really some, something that gets kind of lost in the din of this episode. Sorry. Um, is that philosophical? <laughs> like, wait a minute. If you can read someone's yeah. mind, duh, duh, yeah. duh. Like what? You know, like I'm thinking about Buffy in English class where she's, you know, the yeah. shining star of the class this day because she's. Yes. Hearing the thoughts of the people around her. She didn't do the reading. She didn't reflect on the reading. Mm -hmm. She's effectively cheating. But yes, but it's such an interesting problem of Mm -hmm. because we learn pretty quickly that she can't help it, that she's hearing these thoughts whether she wants to or not. Um, My favorite moment of that is when Willow is speaking to her about you know how great it is that Buffy can like yes. she's got this new you know she's got this new slayer power and it's great and her words are saying how great it is and she's smiling but then in her head she's you know oh she's not going to need me anymore you, you know yeah me. you don't need me right so you know it's not it's not exactly a gift Angel calls it a gift at one point I was like yeah but. Yeah, not exactly. But identity, like the question of identity and, um, you know, thought, our thoughts making us who we are is mm-hmm. just, just a fascinating question. I have no answers other than that is fascinating. Um, but what's interesting to me about the way Buffy describes this, like this identity crisis effectively that she's having mm-hmm. sounds an awful lot like pregnancy to me. Like uh-huh. the concerns, the concerns that she raises about, mm-hmm. you know, changes to the physical body, but also changes to like who she is yeah. really, really sounds like the concerns that a lot of pregnant people voice, whether they intended to become pregnant or not. Well, you have a real living other human being inside your body made from you <laughs> like it's weird it's, like if you actually think about pregnancy and i hope like I anybody, do all the anybody time. out there who's like pregnant right now listening to us and they're like oh my god you know um it's bizarre this yeah this like something has happened to my body my body is changing and my identity is changing potentially because yeah. at this point she has no idea what's going to happen to her it's just something right. will mm-hmm. happen Book's not going to tell you what, (laughs) you know, like, there's no way, like, there's no way of knowing. And it's just, I mean, yet again, we have the female body slash mind as a site for Mm -hmm. trauma. And I understand that not everyone who becomes pregnant is female. That's, you know, we're using gendered language because we are watching a gendered show with a gendered kind of Mm -hmm. philosophy to it. But I just want to acknowledge all of my right. all of my trans friends out there. I see you. I love you. I'm glad you're here. Um, <laughs> she's but but that like that concern over her personal space. I mean, her physical personal space. Yeah. And then once the once the telepathy takes hold, you know, her line to Giles about her experience of telepathy really points to the experience of mental illness and intrusive thoughts. Yeah. You know, she says, I can't Mm -hmm. shut it out, Giles. It's like this invasion of my head. It's like there are these strangers Mm -hmm. walking around in here. And she then, you know, she wants to continue to be 
you know, in the school to figure out who this potential murderer might be. But she says, look at this. I can't even Mm -hmm. be around people anymore. And that hit me so hard as a really accurate representation of certain kinds of mental illness where you want to do the Mm -hmm. thing, (laughs) you want to do the thing, but your experience of the world just makes it impossible, whether it's um, anxiety or depression or, you know, Mm -hmm. issues with sensory processing. Like, I think there's a lot to be said about earshot and disability and I'm not sure that that's what yeah. Jane Espenson was intending to talk about. I think it was a little bit, right. I think the episode is a little bit more in the be careful what you wish for category, where at first yeah. it seems great. It's like, oh, I can hear what everyone is yeah. thinking. Principal Snyder has walk like an Egyptian stuck in his head. You know, it's like, yeah. it's fun. <laughs> it's kind of fun. It's kind of funny. Right. But then it becomes incredibly isolating, which of course it becomes overwhelming. It, overwhelming yeah. and isolating and debilitating. She can't mm-hmm. function by the time this has really taken yeah. hold. Um, which, I mean, we could go all kinds of directions with this. We could talk about we could talk about mental illness and disability. We could also talk about the responsibility of being extraordinary in a certain way. Mm-hmm. That you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> here we go again with great power comes great responsibility. Exactly. You know, that we like, always come back we come to that. We come back to that forever. But it's, it's true. It's really true. And I mean, here's the thing. Like, for Buffy, it it isn't just, it, you know, it's a violation. Like, it's a violation of other people. It's a violation of herself, right? Right. Because she can't control it. If she could control it and was still eavesdropping on other people then that would be a real question, right? But she has absolutely no control over this. She can't, she can neither reach out for it nor shut it out, you know? And that's what makes it devastating for her. If she had the power and could shut it down, you know, could not reach into other people's minds, could not, then she would be able to judiciously use that power, applying her sense of personal responsibility. But because this power comes in a way that is um, is debilitating and is uncontrollable, it really does kind of have that parallel with this this idea of mental illness. And I actually sympathize with this a great deal. And I, I recently did a um, a video for this. I'm doing a video series with uh, Ian Martin from Passion of the Nerd. We're doing a year long uh, kind of chat back and forth with each other called Nerd Chipper. And in mine, I talked about empathy and I actually used earshot as sort of an illustration of what that's like, that um, with empathy, you're not reading people's minds, you're reading people's feelings based on their micro expressions on their t- intonation on their word choices on everything you're basically reading everything and feeling everything that they're feeling you know um and it comes and there is a point where you're reading it in which case you can be completely wrong but you're reading it and feeling it anyway there are times where it is absolutely explicit how somebody is feeling and the pain that they're going through and you actually literally feel their pain um, I have had situations where um, I'll see like this is why I have trouble watching horror movies. If I see somebody get mm-hmm. hurt, I will feel pain. I may not feel the like if they get their pinky, you know, cut off. <laughs> I may not 
feel it in my pinky, but I feel the pain. I feel pain in like the center of my mm-hmm. body, like the center of my being actually processes that pain. Um, and so for me, it is very difficult for me to be around. I'm an extrovert, but it's difficult for me to be around people too much. If I'm around somebody with negative energy, if I'm around somebody who's going through a really difficult time, um, if I'm around somebody who's in any kind of pain, be it emotional or physical, and let's face it, almost everybody's in emotional pain all yep. the time um, because uh, because our culture is abusive. So everybody's mm-hmm. upset. Um, so all of these things, you know, I, I feel... believe it or not, very empathetic towards Buffy's situation um, in this in this context, because it sometimes does feel like that. It feels really overwhelming. And I find I have to isolate myself a lot for an extrovert. I have to isolate myself a lot uh, because connecting with people can be like this for yeah. me and it's very very difficult to deal with that so um so it is it is interesting with this it does feel a bit like a monkey's paw a bit <laughs> like a be careful what you wish yeah. for a situation and then um and then what i love too is that she has this thing she has this great moment in class she's you know using this for you know to make her seem <laughs> like she understands othello and iago and of course we're talking about othello and iago the you know iago being the dark side of othello mm-hmm. himself right you know angelic and that reading and on that. everything yep. that Buffy's going through with Angel exactly, and Faith. with Angel and Faith. Right. And so then she immediately goes to Angel, right, ready to read his mind. She's bringing up Faith oh, and she's God. just trying to read him. And then he just says, that, like the mirror, there's no reflection in <laughs> Like You can't read my mind. And he knows exactly what she's doing. But I love, too, that he, he forces her to sit down and actually talk about what's bothering her. Yeah. And it's really nice. I love Angel in this episode. Oh my god. Yeah, I do too. I um I have big mm-hmm. feelings about Angel in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. What are your big I feelings? I have big feelings about Angel in this Okay. So, I genuinely like Angel in this episode a whole lot. And if this mm-hmm. was the Angel that we'd had all along, I would probably be swooning over him big time yeah. from the start. You know, he says, I've yeah. lived a long time, Buffy, and I'm past that. He's talking about being mm-hmm. with girls like Faith. Um, yeah. And I love this idea. I mean, because, and unfortunately, I don't think it really plays out in Buffy up until this point. The, you know, he doesn't seem mm-hmm. to be past some of his other adolescent bullshit. So I don't know. But yeah. But that is what I would have loved to have seen. The guy who looks 23, but is wise and self-aware and able to extend that to others because he's actually 243 and it's had all of this extra time to like read and reflect and work on things and see how the world works. Um, He is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He is. He's just lovely in this episode and he's hilarious. He's so funny. Yes. Oh my God. It's so cute. (laughs) And then to end that scene on his complete deadpan, I'm a funny guy. Like, I just, I can't do it. I do no justice to it. It's hilarious. (laughs) <laughs> no, it is really, really good. And this is actually the angel that I like the best, too. This is the angel that we see, I think, more in his series, you know, necessarily than we do here. Although we've seen him a bit. We saw him in Gingerbread. 
mm-hmm. you know, when he gave the the why we fight, um, you know, discussion with Buffy. And I thought that that was fantastic. I loved that. Um, but I mean, the thing is, that, like how Angel was originally built, you know, Angel 1.0, right, mm-hmm. um, is this broody, tormented, Byronic hero, this, you know, Heathcliff wailing on the moors bullshit that I hate. It gets so old. I hate Heathcliff. I think Wuthering Heights sucks. I hate that book. I hate everything about it. Um, and that kind of character, just like this, this you know, t- tormented and knowing that he's he's wrong <laughs> and bad, but like living with the, you know, all of this kind of stuff. It's just, it, I have so little patience for that. And um, so Angel with his brooding doesn't necessarily do it for me, but Angel, this, this wisdom, this kindness, this directness, this lack of fear of honesty. It's not that he has to be courageous, you know, because when you're, when you're courageous, um, you, you are pushing past a fear that exists. Like, I don't think he's afraid of being honest. I think he's like honesty and talking about things and being straightforward. That's the only way to go. Yeah. You know, like the, everything else has consequences, you know, and, and a lack of honesty has consequences, but honesty itself has only the truth to uncover. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that, so I think that he's like gotten to that, you know, which I absolutely love about him. I love his philosophy on why we fight. I love his philosophy on if nothing we do matters. The only thing that matters is what we do. That's over from the Angel series. That's why I watched the Angel <laughs> series. That moment sells me on all of it. And there's lots of other good stuff there, but that moment sells me on everything because of this deep philosophy that anchors Angel and that makes Angel what he is when he's at his best. And this is exactly the Angel that is at his best. I love all of this. He's so, so good. And then, of course, he ends up you know, he's very brave. He goes and fights the demon and he gets the heart and he feeds, you know, we get to see uh, uh, Chekhov's glowy blood pay off with, you know, (laughs) like, oh, there it is. Oh, that looks not good. I mean, yes. Props to props on that. The 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 glass Mm -hmm. decanter with the bits of floaty. What is that? It's bits of floaty demon heart. It's got a mix of floaty stuff. I love the floaties. The floaties make it for me. (laughs) The floaties make it. And it's also got that really tiny, like, spout. So I guess the floaty, the big parts, the chunks can't get into her. It's a a vampire decanter. It's fine. It's a vampire decanter, <laughs> as as you find. You just go find down. them in the glass aisle at Walmart. Well, I was yeah. going to say, you go down to your local antique shop, and I'm sure you'll find one. <laughs> local antique or shop. Or Rite Aid. Rite Aid. Why does Rite, Rite Aid, Aid not sell sure. ritual supplies? Come on. They called themselves know. Rite Aid. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> exactly. Which Anyway. Are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just got it. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. <laughs> Never apologize. <laughs> yes, no. I was like, yeah. I'm just. I was running along with your joke. I'm like, yeah, because that's fine. I thought it was yeah. funny because you were just like, you know, look at the store on the corner. The way I made the Walmart joke, and I thought it was the same as the Walmart joke, but it's not <laughs> because of. of we are anyway, writers. Um, this is what we do. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, All right. So something else that I absolutely loved in this episode is Giles. Giles and Wesley. Um, These two 
working together. <laughs> Wesley has redeemed himself a little bit, but still remains the, you know, the classic stuff shirt, right? Um, but these two as foils for one another is so lovely. I mean, Wesley is there basically reflecting what Giles used to be, or at least the way he used to present himself. Um, and in reality, Giles is much, much more complex than our, you know, tweed suited three piece, you know, vest thing that he always used to do, you know, um, in reality is much more complex. And of course, as we will discover, so is Wesley, um, as we move through Wesley's entire story arc, you know, from here to the end of Angel, the series, um, but it brings up this idea that we explore in earshot that the external controlled pro- projection of ourselves is often like our our attempt at creating a, an aspirational sense of self, yes. you know, um, and the reality underneath is so much more complex and self-contradictory, you know, with the exception of Cordelia. Cordelia, yeah. Right. And in other in other episodes, Spike and Anya, whoever our truth teller is. Oh, God. <laughs> Cordelia, I love. I don't see what this has to do with me, she thinks. And then immediately, I don't see what this has to do with me. (laughs) She is exactly, you know, who she is projecting is exactly who she is inside. And that harmony, that essential honesty, I think is um, like is a really positive and, and aspirational trait. Again, not being afraid of the consequences of honesty Mm -hmm. because the consequences of dishonesty are always worse. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, So I loved that. Well, and Cordelia Cordelia gets one of my favorite lines in this episode and possibly of the whole series. Xander tells her she has Uh no shame and she says, oh, please, like shame is something to be proud of. I love it so much. I love, I I love it. it. Like, don't, Cordelia, like, don't even, she's like, don't even bring me shame. Like, I don't know what that, like, I don't know what that is. That's not a good, you know, I love it so much. It makes me so happy. Mm -hmm. Um, But the other person, the other person who is very similar in their thoughts and what they say is Giles. Yes. He's not quite mm-hmm. word for word the way Cordelia is, but. Well, and he would withhold some things, too. You know, like there are some things that he doesn't say because it is not the best moment to perhaps say. Right. You know, um, if she like, the, you know, the moment where he's really worried about Buffy and he thinks if, if we don't stop this, she's going to go mm-hmm. insane. You know, um, and so that's something that he wouldn't say. But he but he is always thinking along the same lines of whatever it is he's projecting. But with other characters, I mean, Willow, too, I think Willow holds back the things she's like Giles. She's genuine in what she's thinking, but what she's thinking, she doesn't always necessarily share. And that's right. OK. And then we shift over into like Xander and Wesley. Oh, God, right? boys. Oh, boys. Who are both falling. Who <laughs> <laughs> are both falling uh, victim to the imp of the perverse, which is um, Edgar Allan Poe wrote this short story, this, you know, kind of a sort of a narrative essay on the imp of the perverse, which is essentially about our own self-destructive impulses, the things that we do and think not because we want to, but specifically because we're not supposed to. So those things, those ideas, those thoughts that just pop into your head um, that are suddenly like, you know, you're driving across a bridge or something. You suddenly think I could turn the wheel. And just go right off the bridge. Like, okay, maybe I'm the only one. No, I had that thought. thought. I was letting you finish your thought. But go on. 
Okay, okay. I, no, but I mean, it's one of those things. So, like, I don't, I don't know. I've, I've had that. Has anybody else had that? But it's like, it's not that I intend to do it. It's not that I want to do it. Now, of course, Noel will never get in a car with me again. But, um, but <laughs> it's not that I intend to do it or that I want to do it. It's that the idea, knowing that I'm not supposed to and that I don't want to, is part of what makes me have that thought. Um, and I think that we have this, you know, we have this whole thing with Xander where he's like, "What am I going to do? I think about sex all the time. Sex, help." Four times five is 30, which of course- I love this so much. Five times six. Five times six is 32. <laughs> I don't know. It just, it cracks me up that his math is bad. He's using his math. It, it makes me so happy that his mental math mm-hmm. that he's doing to try to distract himself from thinking about naked girls is yes. wrong. I love it. I don't, like, right. That, right. that is such a genius bit of characterization. It's it so is. perfect. For Xander, I love it so yes. much. It is. I mean, this, there is so much wrapped up in this one little part with Xander. And then he's like, naked girls, naked women, naked Buffy. Oh, stop <laughs> me. And then he runs, yeah. you know, because he can't stop. The empathy perverse is so strong within Xander, you know, um, <laughs> that he is thinking things simply because he knows that he shouldn't I, be, that he doesn't want to be thinking. I kind of want to call Xander the imp of the perverse like so often (laughs) so often he says the thing that you really shouldn't say that in this scenario like come on man get it together xander yeah and talk about self-destructive impulses i mean poor xander that's xander xander is the imp of the perverse but you and i had a disagreement about xander in this episode yes when the scoobies are doing their investigation and willow has made them these quizzes to administer to everyone who was oh, in the cafeteria, which, which of course she did. And then she tells them to write neatly and label their work. We're mm-hmm. foreshadowing yes. the Professor Willow who doesn't ever really pay off. Um, but yeah. that's okay. Mm-hmm. I still like it. Um, but but uh, Xander is administering his his uh, questionnaire to three mm-hmm. girls in the, yeah. in the school stairwell. Yeah. And... Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's he's asking them questions about turn-ons and turn-offs and dating preferences. And I thought this was kind of adorable. And you bounced off of it. And I think that that's I Yes. Mean, that's interesting. No, because it's to me it's to me it's gross sander, once again. Because first of all, like he's he's using this opportunity to figure out who's going to try to like kill everybody and we're on a clock here like somebody is trying to kill everybody and he's using it to kind of you know creep on these girls and like you know get information like do do basically a focus group a seduction focus group for these girls you know um and i find that to be um one creepy in and of itself, you know, the way that he's like using this as an excuse to creep on these girls. And also the, the fact that like somebody's going to die, like there's somebody's going to kill everybody. Let's let's keep focused, Xander. We really this is not what we're here to do. So, I mean, that that annoyed me with Xander. And uh, I don't know. So what, well, what did I, you think? I mean, you liked I it, liked though. it. I think because I just headcanoned that Xander was doing what he was told to do, mm-hmm. that he was following along with the quiz, but then also taking the opportunity to insert these other questions into, like, to, to I mean, he's doing research, right? Like, he's just doing, like, right. I think, I think the wannabe researcher in me is just, like, very uh-huh. for this, of, like, we're gonna, we're going to, yes. you know, like, Russian nesting doll are, are, 
questions, you know, <laughs> in among some other questions, which you're absolutely right. They are they are on the clock. And of course, it's Xander not being on the clock that then ends up saving everybody because he gets distracted by the jello. Yeah. Of all things. Yeah. Of all things. Like, is that, I mean, it's the yeah. funny answer. That's why. Nope, that's, but he gets, yeah. you know, he gets yeah. distracted by the jello and sees the lunch lady pouring rat poison into, uh-huh. you know, this giant vat of uh, mulligan whatever. stew, presumably, yeah. because we've set that joke up. Maybe. I, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, it's that, like, it's that not being on task with Xander that mm-hmm. ends up saving the day, which I, That's again, true. have, like, complicated feelings about because it feels very right for Xander, but also kind of unearned. Yes. <laughs> like, like, really, you weren't... Also yeah, kind of unearned. Yeah. You weren't doing what you were supposed to do, so you get the air quotes reward of right being correct about i don't right. know to to you know fail upwards that's Xander. <laughs> that's classic you know that's the classic kind of thing that happens that happens to xander yeah i don't know um it it annoyed me you know um and uh and just like i don't know xander uh, xander's not so bad in this episode and like the thing is that like he, he, he we're getting like this honest sense of who he is you know deep down it's always funny xander is always funny um but yeah like creeping on the girls when we're supposed to be saving people who could get killed like that just annoyed me um but i'm glad that you appreciated it i'm glad that you liked it because i you know i do like i have very complicated but very loving feelings towards xander even when he's screwing up he's still kind of adorable um but uh, but wesley too though <laughs> wesley uh the wesley and cordelia yeah. thing yeah yeah um, when he's thinking about like because what was it like i think it was just last week where i was like wesley is not doing anything mm-hmm. with it he's shutting it down good for wesley and i apparently forgot about this internal where he's like Cordelia, uh, but, but at then least he shuts he's, it down. I'm a bad, yeah, bad man. He, he's attempting yeah, he to shut, shut it down, down within himself, acknowledging that she's beautiful. I mean, I guess you can't blame him for acknowledging that she's beautiful. He's not acting on it, and he's not indulging even the fantasy <laughs> in himself. So there is that. So that, and I good. love him disappearing that's to good. the office. Can you hear me thinking in here? I know. Can you hear me in here? Because I can go out into the hall. <laughs> oh, Wesley! It's so cute. Oh, Wesley. It's so cute. But I love, I mean, you know, getting back to like Wesley reflecting Giles, you know, um, there's this moment right after Giles is failing to come up with anything for what the mayor's possible plans are. Right. You know? And Wesley just dances in behind Giles in the middle of the meeting. And you see the two of them next to each other. And Giles has gotten rid of his uh, tweed jacket, his tweed vest. <laughs> now he just has suspenders and a tie and he looks amazing. <laughs> Speaking of identity crises. Who is Giles without his tweed? Who is Giles without his tweed? Giles is hot without his tweed. I mean, he was hot with it, (laughs) but he is hot without it. I am loving this Giles. I love Giles through the whole thing. Every flavor of Giles is my favorite flavor of Giles. I'm not going to lie. But this is just incredibly like it's just I love the way he's just so much more relaxed, you know. And then we have Wesley right next to him, right in this dapper Dan getup down to this bright yellow tie and the perfectly folded silk pocket square. Oh, yeah. Like, hello, Dandy Wesley, um, which also makes me realize that I love all flavors of Wesley yes. as well. Um, I think, and I'm not sure, I think that British men might be my downfall. <laughs> I think that there's something about 
British men. Uh oh. I think I must move to the UK at some point um, because I, I have a thing for British men. I can't help it. I'm not going to lie. Um, but it's just, it's so incredibly cute. I love that relationship. I love the way that Wesley kind of reflects who Giles has been. And Giles is the evolution. You know, oh, they're of that. like Pokemon, um, like Watchers together. Council Pokemon. So they are. They are. Like, Wesley Wyndham Price evolves into Rupert Giles. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta catch them all. Speaking of Watchers, though. <laughs> I will catch all the British watchers, I'm telling you. But speaking of watchers, we got another message from our Watchers Council. Ah, uh, it's you again. And it's me, Bryony Wheaton. Taking a moment together out of our day to spend in community to appreciate our slayers and to mourn the sudden disappearance and, we fear, likely death of our own Clive Fletcher. I have known Clive personally for many years and have counted him among my dearest and most trusted friends. It has been difficult to even come in the office as though nothing has happened, but you know how we Brits are. Stiff upper lip and all that. Keep calm, carry on. A watcher's work is never done, now is it? But speaking of work that's also never done, you're listening now to a podcast produced by Chipperish Media, and it's not the only one they produce. Oh, no. There are podcasts about Star Wars, Good Omens, Angel the Vampire with a Soul. They talk about how stories work and explosive inspiration and courage, creativity, and the call to adventure. They've got quite the collection, and all they ask is a few dollars a month so they can keep their content free and ad-free for everyone who listens. And we at the Watchers Council would certainly take it amiss if suddenly their support dried up and they couldn't talk about us anymore. Wouldn't that just be terrible? Chipperish Media really are fantastic, aren't they? I certainly hope nothing happens to them. So go on, visit patreon.com slash chipperish and kick in a dollar or more a month or whatever you can afford to keep them going. Because they just do seem to keep going, don't they? Such busy little bees. Yes. All right. Thank you so much to the Watchers Council for giving us yet another message to enjoy. Um, so, Noelle, what are you wearing? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you talked about Dapper Wesley and Giles losing the tweed. Yes. Um, I love this. You know, this we talked about this narrative of isolation with Buffy from her friend group, which, of course, mm-hmm. is, you know, Buffy's thing all along. Right. Um, mm-hmm. that's not new, but I love at the courtyard pep rally, everyone's got their red and gold on, you know, go Razorbacks, yeah. right? You know, Willow's wearing, Willow, Willow's wearing her red hoodie to support mm-hmm. Percy because he's needy. I know. And Percy I, though, I like Percy's, you know, academic achievement now that he's afraid of Willow. I think yes. that's pretty cool. Yes. Mm-hmm. He takes, well, he takes her seriously. He knows that yes. she's not. You know, he she's not her. dicking around. And I like yeah. Willow being into basketball. I think I that's really too. very cute. Yes. Mm-hmm. So she's got her red hoodie on. Xander yes. has his yellow sweater. And Oz has these red panels in his button front mm-hmm. shirt. And then mm-hmm. he's got his bright blonde hair. So even Oz, who kind of could not care less uh-huh. about sports, yes. is still like repping the school colors. And I think it's just so yeah. cute. No, and of course, very nice. you know, we have this narrative, this little this little side story of everyone is going to the basketball game 
mm-hmm. and Buffy's not because Buffy yeah. is Buffy and patrolling. Buffy's in pink on pink. She's got this sleeveless top with mm-hmm. her cardigan tied around her shoulders. So not only does she kind of visually clash with everyone, yeah. pink is not exactly a complimentary color with the with you the know razorbacks red and gold. Yeah, and gold. Mm-hmm. yeah. but mm-hmm. she has this thing wrapped around her, like literally weighing her down visually. Yeah, which is so like subtle, but a perfect example of the kind of characterization and the the tone that you can create in a scene yeah. visually with what your characters are wearing. Mm-hmm. It's it's just it was really striking. I noticed that pink right away, and I was like, "Huh, that yeah. doesn't really go." And it yeah. doesn't. No, it and shows her like out of out of sync with her her community. You know. Yeah. 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 And I I mean, I love 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 a vampire in the sun blanket. I know it's oh, not. Yeah. You know, it's not meaningful, <laughs> especially. <laughs> although it does, you know, raise all kinds of questions about like how does the whole sunlight thing work with vampires? Yeah, we don't it care. Does. If we they're just care. covered up, but I mean, he's clearly smoking. Yes, so which just I being love. Out. Such yeah. a great. It's such a great visual effect. It does yeah. the, like, I don't know. I love. I love the vampire relationship to sunlight and the way this show does that yes. visually. I mean, I have I have fangirled about Spike catching his hand on fire um, I know. already, but that, like, the smoking blanket is so perfectly It is. I don't know. It's, it's so, so I, great. It, it's great. It, there's something just really, really wonderful about it and I love it. I absolutely love it. I think it's so fantastic. I also loved in the opening um, when Buffy was wearing her little red hooded jacket. It's not the same little red riding hood jacket from Helpless. Um, and I don't believe that we have any of the same thematic elements that, that we saw in Helpless with little red riding hood. Um, but I, it's just for me, it was fun. Whenever I see her in a little red hooded jacket, I was like, oh, <laughs> Buffy has some amazing, amazing outerwear. Yeah. She it's, really, really does. Yes. Yeah. She really, really does. Um, all right. So we've got a little bit of Arg the Patriarchy for this week. I mean, really, I mean, we get to hear, because we're getting to hear inside mm-hmm. everybody's heads, we get to hear mm-hmm. everybody's really gross thoughts about yeah. this. St- but of course, here's a question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, is it... <laughs> Is it sexist and patriarchal if it's in our own heads and no one hears it normally? I want to say yes, because, of course, it's informed by, yeah, you know, it's informed by the patriarchal society we live in. But I don't know. It's still sexist and patriarchal, but it's also uh, just because those thoughts, those thoughts are in our heads because we live in a sexist, racist, patriarchal society right Mm -hmm. so um we live in a society that that feeds us these these ideas constantly and there are things and i mean you know there have been tests that have been done about implicit bias you know where people who are deliberately and consciously not you know um not living a life where they are not behaving on that bias still have it you know, um, and because that's how we're, we're taught. That's how we our brains are formed because we live in a society that does that. So the thing is, having the thoughts are your thoughts are your private thing, you know, um, having the but thoughts are powerful and dangerous. So the thoughts that we don't choose, we can't be responsible for. 
But we do need to try to consciously form our thoughts as much as possible because the things that we think are the things that we are eventually going to believe. Right. Um, and this Don't is believe true. everything you think. Exactly. I mean, this is true, not just with, um, you know, with like the the poisonous kind of ideas that permeate our society, like, you know, white supremacy and the patriarchy and all of that. Um, But this is true even with ideas that you have about yourself. If you think to yourself all the time, I am unlovable, I'm no good, I'm terrible, I'm this, I'm that. If you have that bitchy voice inside that's constantly tearing you down, those are things that you are going to believe and then eventually behave on, you know. So you do have to be very careful with what you think but the i but i i don't think i would necessarily hold somebody morally responsible for the thoughts that flit through their head in a moment because a lot of the things that that flit through our head are not really us they're sort of planted there but again that goes back to that idea about what is I us think therefore what defines I am. us yeah where is are our identity our i think therefore are we our thoughts i mean there's a lot of like really i think interesting and and slightly disorienting discussion to be had about that. Like, what is it that is essentially us? What makes us essentially ourselves? You know, um, how does all that work? Um, is it our thoughts? Is it our soul? Is it what is our identity? If you have parts of your body replaced, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's still you. Yeah. Like, so um so it's really identity is is a really interesting discussion and not one that is as easily had as we might think which I think is part of the reason why we cling so tightly to various identities. I oh, mean, one sure. of the things that I teach about vulnerability, the sources of vulnerability, fear, love, shame, you know, which all make sense, right? And then I throw in identity there and when I start teaching that especially with like these young, you know, 20 year old students in my college classes. Um, When I start talking about that, they all look at me like identity. And then once we start talking about it, once we start actually digging into identity, what is me? Who am I? You know, how do I like identity connects you with uh, community and belonging. Um, Identity gives you a sense of who you are. You know, um, identity, like if, if you're somebody who, you know, I have a good friend who grew up fundamentalist Christian, right? And then suddenly like looked at it in like his 20s and realized that that didn't make sense. You know, that it just, it fell apart under examination, under critical thought examination for him. And then, so when you believe it, like he spent his whole life believing in this thing as being absolutely true and then coming slowly to this realization that it wasn't true. Who is he now? Like, you know, yeah. I mean, that's a huge, yeah. a huge identity crisis. Identity crisis happens when we um, come, you know, like come to terms with our sexuality, wherever it may be, you know, yes. on a spectrum. Um, identity comes in when we think about, you know, who we are politically, what we believe in politically, oh, yeah. what our job is. It comes in from basic demographics. Mm-hmm. Uh, gender is, is mm-hmm. a huge thing with identity. Um, and when you lose access, when you lose a strong connection with something with which you have strongly identified, you don't know who you are. Like yeah. that is a huge destabilizing thing. And that is an incredible amount of vulnerability. Um, so when you start looking at the actual like philosophies of identity, mm-hmm. you know, and realize that almost all of it can be, you know, can be kind of uh, 
you know, destabilize, like yeah. almost like what, what is identity? Who are we? Uh, <laughs> is it as solid as we think it is? Because I think that that identity can be uh, fluid in a lot of ways for a lot of people. Um, it's, it's bizarre. Like you think about like babies, right? You and I have both had babies, <laughs> yes. right? We have brought little tiny humans home from the hospital. We now have much bigger humans in our house. <laughs> yes. Right. They- So I look at this big human and I think the baby is gone. That baby that I brought home from the hospital is gone. This child, this woman, Christ, she's 20, you know, this woman is, is no longer that baby. And like, so, but she is. Yes. But she's that baby, but she's not that baby. Yeah. So it's so it's such a bizarre thing. And you see children go through this constant transition. And you have to think when they're figuring out who their what their identity is. I mean, that is a hugely like I'm going off on this whole thing. This is not even about earshot. I'm just I love it. No, it's good. About (laughs) identity. But but when you start digging, if you look too closely, it's like the abyss. Don't look into the abyss. It starts to look back into you. When you look too closely at identity. Yeah. You realize that it is all a flimsy construct, you know, Uh a little bit, little bit. What's solid about identity? I don't even know. Well, it's funny. I don't I even mean, know. Yeah. Every seven years, our entire physical being is is replaced in this okay. ship of Theseus nightmare. Like, what is that? <laughs> well, that's not true because you are, if you are a person who is born with ovaries, you have all of the egg cells in your ovaries that you will ever have. So, okay, so some of it's still the same, some of but it my is actual same. physical cells have all died yes. and been replaced by new ones. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. You're you're like the surface like of your six tongue or seven changes times at this point. Yeah. yeah, the surface of your tongue changes, which is why you know yeah. foods that didn't appeal will suddenly appeal, and vice versa. Anyway, everything um, changes. <laughs> but you mentioned you mentioned sexuality and something that mm-hmm. I wanted to bring up that was in my notes yeah. that was in your notes that we didn't talk uh-huh. about was Gay Larry. It's the last. Oh, week. Gay Larry, I, I love mean, him so much. It's the last week of Pride Month. I feel like we have to give a shout out to yes. Gay Larry. Living his best gay life. His grandmother Living is setting him truth. up with guys. He's happy it. in his truth. And he's, he's so secure. kind. He's, he's so gentle. <gasps> the way that he is so caring for Xander and Xander's fragile sexuality. I love and he's like, you know, you could make a you could, you could make, make an announcement, announcement in the paper. In the paper. Like, we would support you. Like Larry, that's that's a uh, great idea, Larry. Like, that's a really... Larry has my heart. I mean, this disgusting, misogynistic pig from season two, right? Oh, God. Suddenly gets, releases all of that bullshit, completely transitions. Larry is not Larry anymore. He's a different identity, but he's fabulous. And it has changed the way that he interacts with the world. It has changed who he is. It has changed the way that he speaks to people, the way that he thinks about people. I love Larry so much. Yep. When you slough off the debris of compulsory heterosexuality, start yeah. living your best life. I recommend it, by toxic the way. Toxic masculinity? <laughs> yeah. I recommend He it. was hanging yeah. on to toxic masculinity to try to like hold on to this idea of, of what a straight man should be. Right. right. And straight men, you don't have to be toxic. Actually, that's a lie. Um, <laughs> you don't have to be. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. So. <laughs> no, you don't. So, it's I mean, not. It No. Nowhere in the manual does it say. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't say that you have to be toxic. So, you know, free yourself from that bullshit. You don't have to be gay not to be toxic. I'm just letting you know. Um, <laughs> Wait. But, what? <laughs> oh, no, yes. no, no, no. Oh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. It's, <laughs> I caught what, up. Did you think it's, okay. <laughs> I was like, wait, no. <laughs> no, Lonnie, that's incorrect. Gay people are just better. <laughs> gay people are just better. <laughs> Well, look, I mean, okay, I mean, that's a whole long other discussion. The point is, I can, can you hear can the hate toxic. mail? I can hear it. I know, seriously. Back here. The point anyway. that I'm making is that anybody can be toxic. Anybody can be toxic. But straight men and, and all demographics, I think, of power. Um, if you're if you are participating in any kind of demographic that has that that kind of power that that comes on the backs of of putting down other demographics, um, then there's a certain amount of toxicity that comes with that of necessity, and we all kind of have to weed that out, you know. So that's what I'm saying. I'm saying as a white person, there's toxicity that comes to me with that power that I have to then weed out. Um, and toxic masculinity, I think, is something that that happens to uh, you know to straight men, to white men um, a lot, although it does not necessarily need to be just those demographics men in general regardless of any other demographic will tend to have that because men have been given this essential power by society and there is this toxic um, kind of sense of masculinity that can sometimes come along with that and it is highly highly damaging to everybody including the carrier Um, you know the man who has this toxic masculinity as part of their identity so I'm just saying you don't have to carry that you can drop that shit anytime you want anytime you want (laughs) The patriarchy. The patriarchy. Whoa. All right. Okay. That's a call out to Buffering the Vampire Slayer and their <laughs> lovely patriarchy jingle, um, which is beautiful. And if you're not listening to Buffering, you really, really need to do that because they are amazing. It's just a wonderful, wonderful podcast. But all right, let's move into our girl power moment of the week. What do you got for me, Noelle? Well, I, I already gave you Cordelia's brilliant, like shame is something to be proud of. I love Absolutely. that so much. Yeah. Love it so much. Mm-hmm. I love Buffy being ready to charge back into the school to find the source of this violent, yes. hateful voice mm-hmm. when she can't mm-hmm. hear. I mean, she can't do anything, but she's like, no, I got to go back in there. And everybody yeah. says, oh, no, you better not. Um, yeah. But she's ready. Like, she knows what she has to do. She has that great power. She feels the responsibility. She's going to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And I just love it. And you guys know that I live for parkour, Buffy. When she runs up the the railing to the stairs and like yes. pulls herself up into the tower, and I'm just, I love it. I love, I love, love, love seeing feminine yeah. bodies do athletic things. It always makes me it's very, very happy, fun. and it's very it's badass. Very fun, yeah. And an actual real person did that. I mean, it may not have been Sarah Michelle Geller. But a real person ran up that. No, but <laughs> it serious. was a lovely woman whose name I, of course, am blanking on right now. But I think it's Sophia she's Crawford. I think that's. I think she was the the that's stunt right. actress at this yes. point. Um, but yes, she's absolutely amazing, and that stuff is just incredible. And so seeing seeing Buffy, you know, kind of do these hand flips onto the um, onto the roof and get into that tower was was pretty excellent. That was kind of amazing. All right, so Noelle, earshot. What is your favorite moment? I love when Buffy goes to see Angel and she's going to read his mind because she has this mind reading power and she's talking to him and nothing is coming back. Nothing's coming Mm -hmm. back. She talks directly to the side of his head. 
Aww. and then leans in. She did. There's this great like little bit of physicality to it, where she leans yeah. in, and Angel says, "You can't get into my mind." And Buffy <laughs> says, "How did you?" Why not? <laughs> I love she's going to ask him how he knows. And then just goes immediately to why not. And we get the mirror not, explanation, exactly. which I really like. Yeah. Um, but that whole scene, that whole scene with Buffy and Angel is lovely. And yeah. then to end on, I'm a funny guy. <laughs> I'm a funny guy. Oh, it's so sweet. I love you. It's what? so sweet. It's so lovely. What is your favorite part of Earshot, Lonnie? Oh, I mean... At the end, Buffy and Giles walking on the school grounds. And then she says, if you're not too busy having sex with my mother, and then walks away, he just bounces into the tree. (laughs) That, I think, is one of my, it's one of my favorite moments in all of Buffy. Like, the whole entire run. It is a top ten moment. And um, just Giles (laughs) walking into the tree, realizing that she has (laughs) discovered this. Oh, my God. But also, I mean, I really do like I think a close number two in this episode is when Joyce is standing outside of Buffy's room, you know, and Giles is there with her Mm -hmm. and they're both there as parents. And she's like, I just feel like my thoughts are hurting her. And Giles is like, she can't even hear them now because there's so much going on. Yeah. Um, And it was such it was such a really nice moment. It always makes me kind of yearn for that Joyce Giles romance. We never really got, you know, that we get. I mean, we get confirmation. That they did yes. it in band candy. They did I mean, we actually knew. We sex. knew. But we get actual textual, yes. textual confirmation. confirmation. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. All right. That's it for today. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow me at Lonnie Diane Rich and Noel at Noel Aloud and use the hashtag still pretty. Or you can keep Chipperish Media going to the tune of a dollar a month or more and gain access to the live chat in Discord, where you can hang out with me and Lonnie and all the Chipperish patrons who will love you, even if you're covered in slime. You can also show your support by giving Still Pretty a great review on Apple Podcasts, or by telling your friends about the show, or by yelling at them for having sex with Giles. Although, look, you can't blame anyone for having sex with Giles. I mean, come on. Have you seen Giles? We will be back next time with Choices, the 19th episode of season three. Until then, no one else exists either. Buffy is all of us. We think, therefore she is. We will be back next time with Choices. I think Giles is my sexual orientation. (laughs) must be giles must be giles (laughs) must love tweed (laughs) i love your tweed jacket i bet it would look great crumpled on my floor (laughs) do you enjoy long walks through the stacks (laughs) put me in your library cage baby